Thanks, Jaron. If you want to pull out your outlines, you'll find an outline there that might help you get through uh, this talk as we take some notes today on what is a pretty sad day in the creation of the world. Uh, my name's Rowan. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's so great to open up God's Word and hear what God has to say to us. One of the questions I get asked so often as a pastor is the question that if God is good and is in control of the world, why is there so much pain and suffering? It's one of the most heartfelt questions and authentic questions I think we can ever come across and that you get asked as a Christian. I don't know if you've been asked that similar question by others as well. You haven't got to open your eyes for long and look around at the world around us to work out our world is suffering. There's sickness, there's sorrow, there's death, there's pain, there's floods, there's earthquake. There's so many things that just aren't right. Do you know more than 10% of the population of New Zealand work in healthcare? That's one in every 10 people are employed to help us to recover from sickness or to get better. My guess is that somewhere along the line in your life, you like me have been touched by sickness or death or relationships that have teared you to pieces. Surely that's not the way the world is supposed to be. What I want to show you today from God's world is that God agrees. God agrees this isn't the way the world is supposed to be. But he doesn't just agree with this and go, yes, that's sad. I'm so sorry. He actually tells us why the world is the way it is and then provides a solution to that at incredible cost to himself. I want to put it to you this week. When it comes to the brokenness of the world... Christianity, particularly this single chapter of Genesis 3, makes the most sense of what we see and feel and experience. We'll say it another way around. No other religion or philosophy or ideal or understanding makes more sense of what we see and feel in the world around us than the Bible's explanation for why the world is the way that it is. So why don't we pray together and ask God to help us to see through God's eyes what he has to show us this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, as we get the joy of hearing you speak and hearing the reality of who you are and your view on why the world is the way it is, we ask that by your spirit you would show us that reality. You'd show us where we fall short of the goodness that you've created. You'd comfort us with the great hope you've provided and by your spirit and through your word, prompt us today to trust in your solution. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing to note as we get to Genesis 3 is that something has gone wrong. Something's gone wrong. God tells us that when he made the world, he made the world good. It was very good. Adam and Eve were in the garden. They felt no shame, no fear, no guilt, no pain in perfect relationship with one another. The perfect marriage. Oh, how we wished for that. The perfect relationship with God and creation. No flies that annoy you. I don't know why God created flies. Maybe to itch us or do something good, but they didn't annoy them then. It was just a brilliant world. At this point in, in all of creation history, no one has ever experienced, no human has ever experienced hurt. No rejection, no disappointment, no pain. Can you imagine that? Imagine how good that would be, having absolutely no idea of what any of those things are. That's how God made life to be. 
And that's what we long for in life, isn't it? To have life without pain, without sorrow, without evil. And that fits with our experience. We want to live life to the full and experience life without pain and suffering. Death is just not natural. Sometimes I hear people say, look, it's just a natural circle of life. But no one's like, yes, I'm so looking forward to it. I want to die today. Not if you're well and healthy, right? So what is wrong? Well, come with me to Genesis 3 verse 1 to find out what went wrong. What went wrong? 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? For the first time ever, there was reason to doubt the goodness of God. Revelation 12 tells us that the serpent was Satan himself. And we need to understand that that Satan is part of God's creation. He's part of God's created order. And he's turned bad. He's turned against God. We don't know much about Satan's origin other than he was created by God. Jude 6 tells us that the angels who did not keep their own position but abandoned their proper dwellings, God has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on the great day. 2 Peter 2.4 tells us, For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned but cast them into hell and delivered them uh, in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment, we see there's these realities of, of beings who've rejected God. Angels. But we don't really know more than that. What we do know is that Satan is called the father of all lies. The father of all lies. Because lying is what he does best. Did God really say? How many times have those words echoed around your head as you think about life and living God's way? Did God really say? Satan doesn't want to celebrate the goodness of God while plants and vegetation on the face of the earth are all for our goodness. Satan plants lies, prompting humanity to doubt the goodness of God. It's true, isn't it, that behind every rebellion against God, every sin lies the doubt Maybe God is not good. Maybe his way is not the best way for me. Maybe he's not for me. Every time we reject God's ways, it's because we think we know better than God. We actually step into the position of God and say, I'm actually going to determine what good and evil is for myself. I know what's right. God doesn't. And so Eve, the pinnacle of God's creation allows herself to listen to a voice she shouldn't have listened to. The conversation should have ended there, but it didn't. Eve then answers by adding to the word of God. Did you see that? Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 2. We may eat, she says, fruit from the tree in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. God never said to touch it. And you see here the first taste of religion in human history. Religion loves to do one of two things, to take away from the word of God or to add to the word of God. Here, her picture of God by Satan's kind of lies that maybe God isn't for your good, she starts to go, oh, God must be nasty. And she adds in, we can't even touch it. She makes God sound horrible and harsh. You can't even touch this thing I made. And you're like, why did you put it there if I can't even eat it or touch it or do anything? And oh, God, that's, that's kind of wrong. And you start to sigh with Eve and think, God, you're a little bit unfair. And what have you done? Maybe God isn't good. 
Maybe he's not for your good. The serpent makes God sound harsh. And once you think he's harsh, you doubt his goodness. And that gives you permission to walk away from him just a little, doesn't it? Quick as a flash, Satan has Eve exactly where he wants her. Verse 4. No, you'll not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Wow, like God. He tells here a, a half-truth. They wouldn't die straight away, but death would enter humanity. Mankind would be removed from the everlasting life God had given them in this one act. The idea here of, of knowing good and evil isn't just knowing right from wrong. It's not that she didn't know what was right and what was wrong. No, they, they did know that. They had moral order. God had said this is right and this isn't. Uh, the word to know is to have a, a close intimate relationship with something. So in Genesis 4, next week, we'll see that Adam knew his wife Eve and they conceived a son. Right? It's a close, intimate connection. It's, it's a up close and personal with this. And knowing good and evil is to have an up close and personal relationship with it. That is determining it. Deciding for ourselves good and evil. I'm up close and personal. I can set the rules. I can be like God. It's so attractive, isn't it? We love to run our lives our way. We love to choose what we want to do. I hate being told what to do by others deep down. Sometimes it's nice, just do this, just do that. Great, I can do it. But in the end, it's only if I want to do it. And we hate kind of people saying this is the way you must be because the idea is kind of stitched into every single one of us now as children of Adam and Eve that we want to be little gods ourselves. Ever since this moment... Humanity have been walking every step they take, trying to be little gods, determining our own version of right and wrong. This moment, this, this fruit, this tree in the garden feels so small, doesn't it? The temptation's so little. What's the big deal? It's a bit of fruit in the garden. But sin always seduces with a song of half-truths. And by the time we hit the chorus, we're all singing sin's tune. Eve listens, verse 6. She reasons, she looks. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, delightful to look at, and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. You can imagine her there, all her senses are tingling. She sees its form and her taste buds are starting to water, thinking, oh, I wonder what that tastes like. I wonder what it would be like. I know God said not to, but perhaps he's not for my good. Perhaps this serpent knows something that I don't, and perhaps I should go this way. Imagine what it would be like to be like him, to live my own way and choose what right and wrong are, and to not take this creation that God had given me. Well, I'd be missing out, wouldn't I? I'd be missing out on this amazing fruit. How many times do you reject the goodness of God? Because you think you're missing out. You think, oh, I'm going to do this even though God says not to because I think I'm missing out if I don't. How many people make decisions in their relationships that cause immense pain because they think they're missing out on something else? How many people look up an old friend or lie at work or cheat on, on tax returns or, or do all sorts of wrong and evil and put themselves in the center because they think they are missing out? 
They do not trust. We do not trust that God is for our good. Eve looks at the tree and the words of, I'm pretty sure, Jerry Maguire came to her mind. You complete me, right? That's what the movie says in the movie. If you haven't seen it, I don't know if you should see it or not. Who cares? But you complete me. You complete me. This will make me whole. This will see me being so good. And so she took some of its fruit and ate it. Now, this point in the story, it's so slow motion. We're kind of sitting here. And the key question that I've got at this moment is, where is Adam? Where's the man God put there to rule over creation and that she was to be the helper alongside, that they would rule over creation together? Here we've got snake speaking to Eve and leading her to then lead the husband away from God. It's a complete reversal of the order of creation. Imagine if Adam had been there. Imagine if he'd been able to say, shut up, snake. No, we're going to listen to God. Remember, Adam was the one that the command had been given to. He'd obviously passed it on to his wife. that The command wasn't given to Eve, but Adam. And then we read verse 6. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her. What are you doing, Adam? You were standing there not saying anything. And how often is that what men do? We do not take our responsibility seriously. And he ate it too. My guess is for the same reason as Eve. Guys, part of being a man is to own your responsibility. The command was given to Adam to lead his wife to rule over creation together. It was given to him. He was the one responsible, but he stands there and says nothing. He should have laid down his life for his wife. He should have said, no, get lost. Nothing to do with you. I'm not going to talk to talking snakes. Never. Bad idea. But again, he began to doubt the goodness of God, to believe that there's something that's for our good that God has not given us. If only he had said to Satan that day what the second Adam Jesus said when he was tempted to doubt the word of God. Do you remember what Jesus said? Get behind me, Satan. If only the first Adam had said those words. But he didn't. Verse 3. Sorry, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Here we see the first result of sin, the first time a human being has ever been afraid. For the first time, Adam wanted to walk away from God rather than to him. He'd had this amazing relationship with the creator of the universe and his wife, but now he wants to hide. And of all things to hide from the creator of the universe from... He chooses fig leaves. You think you can hide behind a fig leaf from the creator of all things? Well, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. It's like the two-year-old that thinks they disappear when they do this. Ha, ah, you can't see me anymore. Oh, you're all back. But that's what he does. He thinks he can hide the reality of what he's done, the shame of what's gone on, the rebellion of the, against the true and living God by putting together some fig leaves. But that's exactly what you and I are like, isn't it? We think we can cover up our failings, put on a facade that makes it look like we're okay to the world around us, that we don't reject God, that we're really good people. We don't confess our sins to God as if we can keep them hidden from him, as if he doesn't know already. 
We don't confess our sins to one another, as if our family and friends don't recognize what we've done. It's very obvious. We can't hide. But what we do is we try, don't we? We hide from God, from one another, and even from ourselves. We tell ourselves all sorts of stories. The usual strategy we have to deal with fear is to hide. Either hide the reality of a situation. I didn't do anything wrong. That's, it's okay for me to do this. It's fine. Or hide the wrong we did. Let me ask you, what's your normal style of hiding? What are you hiding from God and from others about the way that you're living your life today? Where do you pretend to serve God, but you know that there are areas of your life that are, you're trying to hold back from the light of God's word? You can't hide from God. Everything will be brought into the light. Then something strange happens in the story. God goes to Adam, not Eve, not even the serpent. But he goes to Adam. Even though Eve probably ate from the fruit first, Adam is the one who's held responsible for this whole action. Look at verse 11. Adam, did you eat from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? Then the man replied, like men all too often do, she made me do it. In fact, you made me do it. Look, the woman you gave to be here with me, she gave me some fruit and I just ate. The other thing we do when we're afraid is we pass the buck, don't we? We pass the buck to someone else. Look what God did. He put me in this situation. It's his fault. I had no other option. This wasn't right. That wasn't right. This wasn't going well in my life. I wasn't feeling fulfilled. And so I did X, Y, or Z. God, it's your fault. The woman you put here with me, you gave me this woman. What did you give me her for? It could have been a whole different story, you know. Adam could have spoken and said no to Satan. He could have led his wife that he was put in responsibility to lead alongside and encouraged her to look at the goodness of God and everything he'd created and the whole world and the garden they were in and been amazed at who God is and said, don't listen to this snake. Don't go near him. Adam could have stopped and instead of worshipping his wife, worshipped his God. Even if Eve had taken from the fruit of the tree, he could have said, no, I'm not going to do this. This is not right. But he doesn't. Even after he'd eaten, he could have realized what had gone on and run to God and confessed what he'd done and told God. But what he does is the opposite. He runs away from God, thinking he can hide. He doesn't apologize. He doesn't come to God. Instead, he pretends it's all okay. Just wearing a few fig leaves, a few loincloths, nothing going on here. Everything's fine, God. He had every opportunity, but instead he hides his shame behind a leaf and hides his blame by pointing to everyone else but himself. Friends, I'm no different, and neither are you. So often we blame God for so many things in our lives, but we realize we can't pull the swifty on God. He sees all and he knows all. And the reality is on that final day, we'll all be held to account for how we've acted. We will all come before him. You can't pull the swifty on God. 
And the effects of rejecting him are tremendous. Come look with me at the effects of the fall. The effects of the fall. I want you to notice in what God's word holds out here that each time um, Adam and then Eve and then the snake, each time they're punished, they're punished with the fruit of their own labor. They're punished with a punishment that kind of fits the crime. Look at verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than any livestock, more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. The serpent, the instigator here, is the one who deceived and he's cursed above all the other animals. He's made to crawl on his belly all the days of his life. And most importantly, he's made to eat dust. Do you see that? To eat dust all the days of your life. By deceiving the man and the woman, the serpent has produced a break in the relationship between mankind and God. No longer can they stay in the garden. No longer can they walk and talk with the creator. No longer can they live forever. The fruit of the serpent's labor was to reduce mankind to death, which is dust. And so the serpent is made to eat dust. He's made to eat the fruit of his labor all the days of his life. That life that God breathed into Adam is now limited. Mortality comes to mankind and the work of the serpent was to reduce mankind to dust. So every time you see a snake, which is very, very rarely in New Zealand... Growing up in Australia, often, um, my parents came into my room when I was about a year old and there was a snake on, on the floor in my bedroom. And they kind of, dad killed it and took it outside. It kind of became normal. Every time you see a snake crawling on its belly, remember, it's eating the fruit of its labor. It reduced mankind to dust. Well, the serpent received the fruit of his labor. So does the woman. Look at verse 16. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. Every new generation would now come with a quota of pain. Childbirth would be painful. And what's interesting, in Hebrew, the word for pain is very similar to the word for tree. In fact, it's almost the same with just one consonant different. It sounds the same. There's this kind of poetic link happening. You ate from the tree, now you're going to have pain. And the word here, to desire, your desire will be for your husband. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to love my husband. As a way, a, a wife and a husband ought, as you look at Song of Songs and there's great desire for one another. No, it's desire in the way of, I want to take someone out. We're going to see the same word used next week with Cain as he desires to kill his brother. And what we see is a distorted relationship between the husband and the wife. Your desire will be for your husband to be the same role as your husband. You see, the relationship here is broken. The order God set up with Adam lovingly leading his wife over creation. Now Eve wants his job. He, she took his job. And he will rule over her. That idea of ruling over is a, is a lording it over kind of idea. No longer are they going to have this relationship of mutual love where there's no problems between them and this one flesh union is just amazing and great. But they'll see each other as objects in some ways. She will desire to master her husband, and he will lord it over her. So many marriages have fallen victim to the abuses of this distortion. It's a reality of the brokenness of the world and the heart of rebelling against God. God made us to, to live a certain way. 
A wife desiring to lead in a way that she was never intended to do, to assume the responsibility for the family, to call the shots. The whole encounter happened because Eve did something she should not have done. She didn't help Adam, but hindered him. And then even worse, the the abuses of men to run from responsibility, to not stand up and to lovingly lay down their lives for their wives and their families, to point them to God self-sacrificially rather than stand back and just be passive and let things go on and be like, oh, I couldn't really do it with alligator arms. You know, oh, help a little bit, but not really. The way that men have lauded it over their spouses in a way that's totally inappropriate. It's never okay for the guy to say, I'm the husband, you'll do what I say. No, God never gives that command to the husband. He gives a command in Ephesians 5 that wives should submit yourselves to your own husbands and that husbands should lay down their lives for their wives. Nowhere does the Bible say you must tell your, your wife to submit to you. No, you're to do it together. It's complimentary. She's going to have stuff to say that's going to help you. She is your helper. But that gets so broken in the world around us. I want to take a moment here to say, if you've been affected by the brokenness of marriage and the abusiveness of relationships and men in these, or women, I need to say in the strongest possible way, if you are in that now, you need to leave. Not leave the marriage, but leave the situation. Come talk to me today or or someone who who you know well. Uh, Put some details on your Connect card and say, hey, I, I need some help here. Don't be quiet about it. Actually... Help us as a church community love you and care for you and protect you. We want to stand beside you. But you need to get out of that situation and you need to get out now. For your good, for the good of your spouse, for the good of your family. It's not your role to stay and help your spouse get better at fixing any abusiveness that's there. It's your role. It's not your role to stop that from going on, but to reach out and seek help. I need to say, if you're the one causing damage here, whether that be emotional or physical, then have the guts to do what Adam didn't do. Stop hiding it. Go and tell someone. Tell someone else who knows you well and say, look, I'm worried about the way I'm treating my family. Deal with it today. Get help. We want to stand alongside you and help you as well. We're all sinners. We've all rejected the true and living God. We've not treated him rightly. There's there's no greater shame in recognizing that this is what you have done. Oh, but come and get help. The greatest shame is not reaching out, is not confessing the reality of what's going on. We all suffer the effects of our fallen nature and we all need the forgiveness that Jesus brings. So I want to say, reach out if it's you, but don't you dare hide it. Don't you dare blame your behavior on someone else. Don't you dare continue to put on a facade that everything's okay, hiding behind a fig leaf, knowing all too well what's going on. Let God and his word minister to you today. Come and speak to us. Well, just as the serpent has received the fruit of her own labor, so the fruit of his own labor, so too does the woman. This reminder that the fruit of her labor in childbirth is now in pain reminds her of the tree. And then this role that she had of reversing the relationship between Adam and her now has broken the the marriage relationship. Finally, then God moves to the man who's responsible for it all, who should have stopped it all. Look at verse 17. He said to Adam, 
Because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. Now, if you're a guy and you're anything like me, you read this verse and you're like, awesome. As a husband, the Bible says, I don't need to listen to my wife. In fact, when Adam listened to his wife, it all went bad. So we shouldn't listen to our wives, right? No, wrong. That's not right. No. Uh, The problem is that Adam listened to his wife rebel against God. As husbands, we need to be careful. You see, while while the woman, Eve, did the deed, Adam was the one who was responsible. He's the one who should have stopped it. He's the one who should have stepped in. But instead of speaking out, he just allows the words of the serpent, who was there for him as well, to again doubt God's goodness. God says, you ate the fruit I told you not to eat. Therefore, no more fruit for you. You need to work the ground all the days of your life. No longer can you walk amongst the trees and just pick the fruit off and not have to do anything. You need to work the ground and work hard to see it work well. This is why it's very clear to me that gardening is a result of the fall. <laughs> right? The fruit was just on the tree. If, if you like gardening, it's great. There won't be gardening in the new creation. It'll just be awesome. That's why I hate gardening and cutting the grass. I'm like, ah, result of the fall. Th- thistles, weeds, having to do hard work. And the same thing, to be able to provide for ourselves if you feel like you're stuck in the rat race of doing work that doesn't ever provide properly, that's because the world is broken. Because we broke it. Because Adam and Eve broke it and we break it in the same way. No, that the fruit of his work now is hard labor. He's uh, returned to dust, and so he's got to work the dust. In order to, to bear fruit, it's going to be painful, just like the woman's labor. Adam's diet is no longer the fruit God provided. It's now something he has to dig for. By rejecting God's generous provision in the garden, by shifting his trust from the creator to the created, Adam was saying, I want my life my way without you. And that is exactly what he gets. Life, his way. He ate the fruit God said not to, so God says no more fruit for you. And life without God is death. Remember, Adam was taken from the dust and God breathed life into him. Adam says, I don't want your life. I don't want the fruit that you give. And so he is returned to dust, lifeless body. Why is there so much suffering in the world Why is there so much pain? Why is there so much frustration? Because we're dust. We're no longer in right relationship with the creator of God. We've rejected God's way and tried to live our lives our own way. And we're suffering the consequences of that. The whole world is groaning because we've turned our back on God. And our effects have affected the whole created order of the world. Romans 8.22, have a look at this. Paul says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Creation's groaning because it's longing for someone to rule it rightly, is what Paul says. Longing for the man to come, the one who would treat God's word right and, and live in right relationship with the true and living God. We have failed to rule the world as we ought. There's so much pain and suffering in the world because we cause it. Every time we hurt someone, we're causing pain in their lives. If we want God to get rid of all the pain and evil in the world, we're asking God to get rid of you and me. Since Adam, the family likeness has shone through all too strong in humanity. For we are just like Adam. We want to live our lives our way. 
without God. And it honestly feels like a two-year-old in a wrecking ball crane. Have you seen those cranes? You can see them at big demolition sites. They've got a massive ball on the end and it's a huge crane. It's how they take out stuff. And these balls, I don't know how heavy the balls are, they're huge. And they, they swing them around and it smashes down walls. Imagine putting a two-year-old in one of them and going, just go for it. Let them go in Auckland Central, see what happens. They'd be like, woo, just taking out everything. Things are falling down. That's what life is like when we jump into the driver's seat and kick God out. I mean, look at the world around us. We don't even do what we want to do. We don't even live to, according to our own standards, let alone God's. It's because we're like our first parent, Adam, because we're born as we come into this world just like our dad. And just as in the garden, life without God only leads to death. Death becomes our greatest hope. It's a little bit weird for me to say, but death becomes our greatest hope. You see, if mankind were, as in Adam, if, if we were allowed to live forever in our rebellious state, imagine, imagine what the world would be like, full of evil people getting eviler and eviler and eviler. No, God ends that reality. He says, you can't continue to rebel against me forever. I will not let that go on forever because that will be a life full of pain, full of suffering, full of hurt, even more, even worse than what we experience today. And imagine that went on forever. Death gives us hope. Hope, firstly, of not living in such an insidious way forever, but secondly, and far more positively, we get the hope of one who will come and crush death. Look at verse 15. God says, I will put hostility between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your seed, or child, and her seed. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. A day is coming, says God, in Genesis 3. He's looking forward to a day that is already part of his plan, already what God had been intending to, from the beginning of creation. This was not a mistake for God. He knew this was about to happen, and he created us knowing we would do this and knowing what it would cost him. A day is coming, he said, when both the child of the woman and the serpent will strike each other out fatally. Now, in the world of no anti-venom, there's no surviving a snake bite. And you can't survive life with a crushed head. This is fatally taking one another out. And this is exactly what God is setting up here. An expectation for someone, a descendant of the woman, who would crush the serpent's head, who would put him away for good, ending his deceptive rule, and in so doing, himself would receive a fatal blow. Predicting a battle that would take place in another garden, Gethsemane, where God the Son would do the opposite of Adam. He would not say, my will over yours, but your will over mine. He would die innocent, always having said no to Satan, always having said yes to his father, in our place, having never sinned and turned his back on God, always treating God as he deserved and offering us his life. Forgiveness. The solution to suffering itself, life that lasts forever in right relationship with God. Are you sick of pain and suffering? Are you sick of death and its effects on us? Then come to the solution in the second Adam, Jesus. The child of Eve who did what Adam couldn't do, said no to Satan's lies, faced a death Adam couldn't face, faced the judgment of God and then was raised to life to be the ruler of all. 
He faced what our rebellion deserved so we could live forever with him. He took the penalty that we deserve so we could stand forgiven. Listen to Paul talk about what Jesus did in Colossians 2. When you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. In other words, you were dead because he rejected the true and living God. God made you alive with him, Christ. And forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. And in that, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them. Friends, this is the best news ever. Jesus has paid the price for our sin. Each of us deserves death, judgment and hell forever. But he has taken it for us. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter what you've been hiding, Jesus has sufficiently paid the price for you. Please stop hiding from that reality and come and trust him. Put your life in his hands, not just, oh, yes, I need to be a Christian, but every day is a Christian. Remember, it's because of Jesus you can stand in the presence of God. It's because of Jesus you can come and speak to the true and living God. It's because of Jesus that you won't face death and judgment and hell. All of us, friends, have fallen short of the glory of God. But only those who place their lives in Jesus' hands and accept his forgiveness and live with him as Lord of their life, not perfectly, but consistently coming back to him and confessing and trusting him, only those of us will experience his forgiveness. Friends, there are only two people that have made a significant difference to the human race. One was Adam, and the other is Jesus. Through Adam, sin entered the world, and from that point on, we've all had our backs turned against God. But through the second Adam, Jesus, you and I can have life that lasts forever. Forgiveness, relationship with God, and his people forever. I want to encourage you today to think through this question. Whose child will you be? Will you be a son of Adam or a child of God? Let's pray together. Father God, today your word has shown us the reality of what we're like. The way we so often want to be mini-gods in our lives, and you know the reality of our hearts. You know how much we love to call the shots. We're sorry for the times that we have not treated you as God and trusted your word. That we think we know what is better, that we think we know what goodness truly is. Lord, show us where we're doing this more. Please forgive us for the times that we've done that. Thank you so much that that forgiveness is made possible through the immense cost of Jesus' death in our place. Fix our eyes on that reality, we ask, that we might see this amazing forgiveness and therefore allow us to confess our sins and to trust you in that. And help us, Lord, live our lives trusting Jesus as our King. Not calling the shots ourselves, but seeing that your way, his way is the best and find life to the full life that does not end in him. We pray for our marriages in this church. We pray for the relationships that we have. We pray for boldness to be responsible for what you've given us responsibility over and to confess the realities of what we are like to one another and to you. 
that we might live for you in all we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.